The digital age was a byproduct of America's Cold War victory. Remember, in 1973, everybody thought we'd lost. Soviet surface-to-air missiles destroyed 100 American planes flown by the Israeli Air Force. Soviet anti-tank weapons, best in the world, depleted the Israeli tank force. The oil price quadrupled, hurt the United States and its allies, benefited Russia, smart money, all thought America had lost. Flash forward nine years later, American and Israeli avionics destroyed 100 Russian planes in the Bekaa Valley turkey shoot. In between those two milestones, America invented every single component of the digital age, with no exceptions, and with no exceptions, they all began with funding from the Pentagon or from NASA. That's where California came from, the real side of it. The federal development budget was um, then 1% of GDP. That's the D side of R&D. That's the equivalent of about $250 billion a year in current terms. Uh, as you can see from the chart, we're down to about a third of that relative to the economy. Yes. What we had in 1983 was high-tech sorcery. Now we've got sorcerers' apprentices. Fifty years later, we face an even greater technological challenge than we did in 1973, when it looked like the Russians would win. China has roughly 2,000 surface-to-ship missiles on its coast with 400 launchers. They're a game changer. As much more than the uh, Russian SAMs in 1973, something like the combination of torpedo planes and dive bombers that destroyed the battleship as an effective war fighting platform at the beginning of World War II. China is ahead of us in building hypersonic weapons. This is a shift so radical, I know Rob Spaulding will have to say more about it, that an incremental strategy of rejiggering our existing forces, building a little bit more here and there, will get us killed. That's my strong disagreement with my old friend Bridge Colby. We can talk about that later. Very well publicized were exercises held by the Center for Strategic International Studies a few months ago on a possible war between the United States and China. And the core scenario was a bloody stalemate in which we lose 200, uh, sorry, 700 planes and two aircraft carriers. I think the CSAS was much too optimistic. Just take the probability that you think, pick a number, any number, that a Chinese surface-to-ship missile has of hitting an American vessel and then the probability of the antiquated and ineffective Aegis system interdicting it, and multiply by 2,000. And I guarantee whatever number you come up with, you're not going to like. Remember that the, Ukrainians, the Ukrainians used uh, a harpoon missile off the back of a truck to sink the Russian uh, flagship Moskva in the Black Sea. The Chinese are a lot better at this than the Ukrainians. A por if we simply adopt a porcupine weapons build up in Taiwan, try to place a lot of weapons which would enter out a possible Chinese attack, we get what I believe, uh, what General, what Admiral Stavridis called the sleepwalker scenario. 
we, one side mobilizes, the other side has to mobilize. That's the World War I result. If we try to simply raise the cost of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan, we invite the Chinese to invade sooner rather than later. So the incremental strategy, in my view, is not going to work at all. Taiwan, for a generation, has pretended to arm itself, and the Chinese have pretended to be deterred. Taiwan's young people don't want to be ruled by Beijing party bosses. Why should they? But they don't want to do more than four months military service. Taiwan cannot presently find pilots for the F-16s they're buying for the United States. As Edward Lukwap put it, the Taiwan military doctrine is for America to defend it while their young people play video games. Meanwhile, you have two million Taiwanese working on the mainland, and the Taiwanese have invested $200 billion in the Chinese mainland. The relations are extremely close, and both are getting uh, out of the other what they want. So I promised to tell you about five myths that could get us killed. Let me start with this. The first myth is that China is getting rich by exporting to the United States. Maybe in 2008, when ch uh, Chinese exports to the US were 9% of their GDP, now they're 2% of GDP. China's just not into us anymore, America. Get over it. Since the Trump tariffs came into effect in August 2019, Chinese exports to the US have risen by 50%. That's because no matter what cost we place on Chinese exports to the US, we don't have the industrial capacity to replace them. So we simply have to buy Chinese products and pay more for them. That's, uh, I'll get to that. China, by the way, has a trillion dollar trade surplus, which means it exports a trillion dollars of capital. We have a $1.4 trillion trade deficit, which means we have to import $1.4 trillion of capital. It seems to me trivial and pointless to uh, pass laws to stop Americans from investing in China. China is the one investing net overseas. It's an inconvenience, but it doesn't hurt them. Myth number two, China depends on stolen American technology. Well, it did in the past, but we've moved well beyond that. China did not steal U.S. know-how to build a hypersonic missile that can circle the globe and hit a target because we don't know how to do that. China leads in several high-tech fields, particularly broadband communications. It also graduates seven times as many engineers as we do. According to the U.S. news rankings, China has 21 of the best 50 engineering programs at its universities in the world the point at which China had to send its people to the United States to get an education, that was about over 10 years ago. By some measures, the quality and quantity of China's scientific output measures or surpasses ours. The fact is, we poured $6 trillion down the drain in forever wars and depleted our industries. We did this to ourselves, and it's time we faced up to our own failures instead of looking for someone else to blame. Myth number three, China faces demographic collapse. Well, the whole West 
faces demographic collapse, but there are distinctions. The two lowest birth rates in the world are South Korea and Taiwan. So in the course of the century, at current birth rates, which is basically one child per female, you lose 70% of the population of South Korea in the century and 60% of the population of Taiwan. So around right about halfway there, the Koreans unify because the one thing they can't import is Koreans. And the Taiwanese problem becomes one of importing Chinese. So as a strategic entity, Taiwan is self-liquidating. If we kick the can down the road, the Chinese know perfectly well that Taiwan falls into their lap because there won't be enough Taiwanese to worry about, which is why the Chinese are in no particular hurry to invade unless we force the issue. And that gets to myth number four, which is that China wants to invade Taiwan because it's led by an expansionist, Marxist-Leninist party that hates and fears democracy. China is Marxist the same way that the mafia is Catholic. <laughs> they take it very seriously. There are you know, all kinds of schools of Marxism-Leninism, but the practical importance is sometimes hard to find. The reason that the territorial integrity of China is a raison d'etre of the Chinese state and a cause for war is because China is not a nation state. It's a multi-ethnic, multilingual empire where a, roughly a third of the people can converse fluently in Mandarin. Most speak their own dialects. And for innumerable times in China's tragic history, dynasties have collapsed because a breakaway province allied with a foreign invader to destroy the power of the capital. That is imprinted on Chinese history, on Chinese statecraft, and when the Chinese see the United States, in their view, playing with the idea of sovereignty of Taiwan, they see the century of humiliation, foreign invaders, and the breakup of China, and they'll go to war to stop that. We, it is within our power to maintain the status quo, which is the one China policy. Everyone agrees Taiwan and China are the same country. Both think they should be ruling each other, but the situation remains to be resolved in the future. We can kick that down the road. If we try to force the issue, we'll get into a war and we'll probably lose it because we're not equipped to it. Again, incrementalism is the biggest single risk we have because we're dealing with a technological revolution. So myth number five is that we can deter China by shifting military forces to Asia and adjusting conventional capabilities. We could not beat the Soviet Union in 1973. America in 73 had lost. The America of 1982 was a different country. We transformed it. To beat China, we have to become a different country. And unless we think in terms of trillions, we're wasting our time. So we've got to bell five cats. First, we've got to get funding for R&D back to the Reagan level. We're talking about several hundred billion dollars a year of additional spending, a trillion in the next five or six years. We need a radical revision of tax and regulatory policy to restore manufacturing, 
selective subsidies for mission-critical industries, a shift in educational priorities to engineering and hard science, and above all, shift defense priorities away from legacy systems towards space-based missile defense, artificial intelligence, directed energy, cyber war, and so forth. I know my friend Rob Spaulding will talk a great deal more about this. I can't be specific about exactly what takes us back to technological leadership. In 1973, nobody knew that a DARPA project, which led to CMOS chip manufacturing, would put look-down radar in F-15s. But we unleashed American creativity and entrepreneurship, reinvented civilian and American uh, and military technology, and be dominated the world. Innovation is our great strength, and we have to trust in it. Thank you very much.